Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, I am 24, this is my podcast, 24's podcast, we are back after a, pause the music, not a short break, I always say short break and that's usually like the weekend or a couple of days, it's just like, yeah, I was gone for a week. Unpause my music. We're back after my six-month break. I don't know what to... My my every six-month week-long break. I'm back. 24's podcast is back. Today, just here to kind of get caught up on some stuff. We'll talk about sports. We'll talk about some other things as well. And... um. Huge news, top of the show, huge news about the show, future big changes to the show, and even this week's schedule. Great podcast coming up, once again, 24's podcast. Great to be back. Oh, let Elton John play us off. Great to be back. Great to be back on 24. Top of the show news. As I had my week-long break, as I was enjoying some time off, just resting, I thought to myself, around Tuesday, you know, sometimes people, they go on vacations, and they can't get away mentally, They can get away physically. They can go to Hawaii. They can go to the Bahamas. They can go to Costa Rica. They can get away physically, but not mentally. This week, this last week, I was able to get away 
mentally from the podcast. Didn't think about it. Enjoyed my time off. Enjoyed it. That was, and as I was on my sabbatical, I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I work hard. I only take two weeks off every single year. I enjoy the week that I am getting off right now. I'm enjoying it. I love it. But is it enough? Is it, is this, is this it? I just go for six months and then I get one week off. I was tired. I ran a marathon. Talked about it before I left. I was like, I ran my marathon. And I ran it well. But I was tired at the end. And so I thought to myself, I'm like, you know what? I deserve another break. I deserve another two breaks. So, simply put, I'm going to add on two more weeks off. I'm going to add on just per year. So I'm taking four weeks off every single year. And there's going to be some miscellaneous days here and there where I'm just like, it just things just happen. But for the most part, I'm still going to take off four weeks instead of the two. And it'll be quarterly. So every week or every three months, excuse me, I'll have a week off. So February will be my month. It was the start. I just I just had my week long break. Then I will have another one in May. Then I will have another one in August. Then I will have another one in 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 November, excuse me, and then it will restart once again in 2024 with February. Now, the specific weeks will essentially be for this year and probably next year. This year it'll be pretty much a little bit after the draft. It'll be around there. And uh, the reason for that is, is that Breath of the Wild 2 comes out. So I'm taking my week off the week that Breath of the Wild comes out or technically the week after. So that way I can play it and not just have to wait around for like a week. And I'm, I'm like, when, when can I play Breath of the Wild? I'm like, I want to play it after it comes after Breath of the Wild comes out. That's when I will take uh, my week off. And then I always take a break in August, week off. And then the week in November may or may not be obvious, but it'll be Thanksgiving. I always have, I think, two, maybe three podcasts already uh, during Thanksgiving, but I don't podcast on Thanksgiving because it's a holiday and I'm usually around family and I can't really get out of like not hanging out with family. So that Thanksgiving will be my week off. And I think that's how we'll roll pretty much um, for the foreseeable future. Every single, I got to turn on the AC. It's hot as balls in here. Hold on. Give me two seconds. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. Is absolutely boiling in here. Unlike, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on where you live, other parts of the country where it is stone cold outside. Hopefully you're safe if it is absolutely brutal outside but essentially i'm just going to have another break because uh i kind of just wanted to add on breaks it'd be different if i was like taking a break every month i don't know i think that would still be fine to some degree but i don't know i'd I'm like i i like having a short rest 
Now, goodness gracious, it was wasn't hard, by the way. The marathon. I love I love podcasting. I love talking about sports. But at the exact same time, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm fucking tired. Tired mentally. So yes, that's that's the update. I'll take four weeks off every single year uh, for the foreseeable future, and I'll take four weeks off this year because um, I like that time off. I will take it. That that that's it. That's the update. Now, kind of a more current update about the podcasting schedule we'll go this week and we'll the the podcasting schedule will be a bit weird because there will be a mini break and then we'll be on for two more days and so essentially what i'm trying to do podcasting schedule wise is monday tuesday podcast wednesday i'm off thursday friday i'm back on with friday being music matters Saturday, Sunday, I'm off because I like my weekends because in the fall and in the winter, pretty much my weekends are, are consumed with football. I don't have any free time because I'm watching a lot of football. Unfortunately, that schedule will not keep this weekend. This weekend is the NFL Combine, the NFL Draft Combine, where a bunch of college football players in tights will run around and do drills that they probably will never do in the course of their NFL career. They'll never want another 40. They'll never lift 225 X amount of times. <clears throat> they'll never do any of what they're about to do again. And so the NFL, in all of its wisdom, in all of its glory, has swapped the days. Where is my remote? Let me pause what I'm watching. I'm watching the Batman. I always put on something to watch when I'm podcasting, just because I, I'm a millennial and I have a short attention span and all this stuff. Let me, two seconds, let me put in the batteries. I, I need to put in new batteries into one of the remotes so that way I don't have to constantly keep on swapping them out. Give me two seconds, hold on. NFL Combine. I tried to look up the Combine. Okay, there it is. Like I tried to look up the Combine a couple of days ago, and it just wasn't on my DVR. Uh, it's still not on my DVR. Hold on. NFL Combine. Go to upcoming. I went to available. Give me NFL Combine. There we go. It's like it finally, finally did it. Two seconds. Is there any available upcoming? Yeah, okay, so here it is. Let me, okay, yeah, let me explain. So the NFL normally would have quarterbacks, wide receivers, and tight ends on Thursday. They would have offensive linemen, running backs Sunday, and then defensive line linebackers, no, not Sunday, 
They would have def offensive linemen, running backs Friday, defensive line, linebackers Saturday, and then DBs and safeties on Sunday. They flip that schedule. And so it's essentially more likely than not the least watched broadcast, the least watch, watched, excuse me, positions on Thursday. So it's like defensive line linebackers, which I don't know if I'll watch. I may look at some of the players' times here when it comes to 40s, but I'm not going to be like, oh, I got to watch 300 minutes, which is what, like five hours of content for defensive linemen and linebackers, which the combine probably is the worst for them as well as offensive line and running back. Like, let's just be honest. They're, they just, they require other people to play the position. Defensive backs and safeties are very important. I'll kind of watch that and talk about that. Um, but no, I will, I will watch that and talk about that on Saturday. But on Friday, we'll have the Music Matters podcast because on Saturday, and God help me, I have no idea when. I have no idea like how long this will take, but we'll figure it out. Saturday will be quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends, and I'll watch that, and we'll talk about that. So that's why the schedule is changed for this week. Again, we're not podcasting Wednesday and Thursday because Wednesday is going to be my midweek break. I'll always have that day off. Thursday, we would usually podcast and talk about some things, but again, Defensive linemen and linebackers are unfortunately on that day during the combine or for the combine. And all of the good stuff is Friday and Saturday. All of the things, if you're ever in, if you ever wonder, it's just like 24, what are the positions that really matter when it comes to the combine? And really, it's the skill positions. It's the defensive backs. It's the safeties who essentially they kind of need those 40 times, right? Especially those positions, defensive uh, back and safety, because uh, for defensive backs especially, it's it's about how fast you can recover, meaning like how fast essentially you can run. For safeties, it can be the exact same thing because you may have to be going up against a guy like a wide receiver on the inside or even a tight end who's a little bit, uh, who has some wiggle to him. And you're going to need that 4-3-4-4, maybe even potentially, depends on how slow the tight end is, 4-5 speed to recover and catch up with that tight end. Give me like two seconds. Hold on. So, for wide receivers, hold on. Sorry about that. I had to get my iPad. I got some got huge things to talk about when it comes to the draft but um, wide receiver obviously is it, it doesn't need players to play with wide receiver is easily the best position when it comes to the combine it easily has the most impact the combine probably does on the position as well and it's just it's just a position the wide receiver the quarterback the tight end that Really, any pass catcher and uh, thrower doesn't really need other positions to essentially get work in. And so that's why the, uh, 
and so that's why those positions, the wide receiver, the quarterback, the defensive back, to some degree, benefit especially from the combine because they're skill positions and they are also they're also kind of relying on the 40 time. So let me take off my headphones. My head is killing me right now. Jesus Christ. Like anything else in the opening of the podcast. I do plan on talking about some players here. We'll talk about them tomorrow. Just because I got all I got about six players that I watched over the last couple of days today and yesterday. And I finished up watching about four players today. I'm getting through the uh, the players that I have. I usually try and go for about by the and this is in relation to the draft, right? I usually try and watch about 10 players per every single position outside of like kicker. And I've already watched one tackle, a bunch of wide receivers, like four, maybe five. I watched Addison, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, and Jalen Hyatt all within the last couple of days. And then I'll probably go back and I'll watch a little bit of Jackson Smith and Najigba, among other players, and I'll kind of just like go from there. So is there anything else I gotta talk about? Anything else before we just dive right into the show? Kind of just like, I don't know. I don't know. Let me just like look at some of my tabs here. I mean, I got so many tabs because I've been stocking up. I've been waiting for uh, for this moment for like a long ass time. I've been waiting for this. Waiting. Waiting. For like a week. Anything else that I need to talk about? I don't think so. I I know I have something else, but I just I can't remember what it was and is. Mm-hmm. Anyways, um What happened? Where should I begin? Oh yeah, let's start with basketball here, because I never really talk about basketball and We got a lot to talk about. So, and by the way, I'll I'll talk kind of about pop culture and things of that nature. I played Elton John's The Yellow Break Road. Played it today. And again, this podcast will be kind of a recap of some other stuff. It'll be about sports. It'll be about a lot of different stuff. So bear with me on this. I played Elton John's... Oh yeah, by the way, before I get started... I am mucho tiredo. Very tired. I got very, very little sleep last night. And that's just because, um, that's just because I just, uh, I have insomnia. And so I was, I, I mean, oh my God. I, I like, I remember waking up at like eight, nine o'clock yesterday from like a nap. And then I just could not fall asleep once again. And so I just stayed up until. God, man, I, I don't even know. It was like 10, 11, 12 o'clock, and I just I couldn't fall back asleep. I couldn't get long, long rest. I couldn't get long sleep. It was terrible. Trying to go to sleep. Couldn't go to sleep. I was, I mean, I've been so exhausted all day long. I went to the gym. I worked out. 
felt energized, felt great. But um, the gym is like the only was the only time today where I felt energized and refreshed. Almost every other moment I've been exhausted. And right now is like no exception to that fact and to that reality. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit exhausted. I'm a little, just a little bit. So I cannot wait. I haven't even seen the new Last of Us episode. That's how exhausted I've been. I just have not found an hour that I am willing to dedicate to watching The Last of Us versus like sleep. It's just, it's been that bad. It's been that bad. So I'm tired. <laughs> I'm very tired. Last night was awesome for sports. And yesterday, Sunday was awesome. I got to see Jake Paul lose. I've been waiting for Jake Paul to lose. And by the way, I tuned into the fight. I tuned into a audio broadcast of the fight. I turned I tuned into something casting the fight. Very similarly to what I do on the podcast. The reason why I tuned into someone else casting the fight. Because I didn't want to buy a fucking fight. Who wants to buy a fucking fight? I remember the guy that was broadcasting was like, the fight's only $50. It was pretty cheap. I'm like, what? Do you realize how much you can get for $50? I think you can get either Parks and Rec straight up on DVD, the entire series, for like $50. And you can watch that awesome TV show forever. And it's awesome. Let me look it up. Give me like two seconds. Parks and Rec. It's maybe 60. It's maybe more. No, it's $44. You can go and probably, you can't, The Office is way more expensive, but you can get a good TV show for $50. I think you can get The Sopranos for like 60 on DVD. You can get HBO Max and NBC, whatever it is, it's Peacock. Peacock is so bad. Oh my God, it's so terrible of a streaming service. But you can essentially buy or pay a bill that would essentially give you way more content, way more consistently than buying a $50 fight. I'm not paying $50 for a fight. And so I'm listening to the fight and I just do it off of instinct. There's times in my life where I have an inclination, a gut feeling for some inexplicable reason. It's not based off of intelligence. It's not based off of research. It's not based off of preparation. A lot of it is based off of luck that gets translated into instinct. It's instinct. It's just something feels right, something feels wrong. And so I felt le last night and yesterday, technically it was mid-afternoon because the fight was in Saudi Arabia, thank God, so that way I don't have to wait until 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock or midnight or 1 or whenever the fight is going to happen to, to get the results. But I had an inclination that Jake Paul was going to lose last night. And I also had another inclination that the Lakers down 27 was going to win. Jake Paul, the former YouTuber turned semi-professional boxer. I don't know what he's all about. A lot of people do not like him because he's a bit of a jackass. And he has, by himself, revitalized the sport of professional boxing because 
he puts up interesting fights. I mean, I'll just, I'll say it. He puts up interesting fights. That is factual. That is one thing that he does better than pretty much almost every boxer now. It's like, you know, we can't have the, the, the not the trilogy, but the, what's, what's after a trilogy? The quad, the quadri? I don't know. There's so many times that you can run out Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. You know what I mean? Even though I would like to see the fourth fight, but you know. It is what it is. It's like, you know, how many times are we going to watch that fight? Boxing is in shambles. Boxing has not gotten with the times. Boxing has dumbass pay-per-view buys, which is just, I don't know why they shank themselves with that. No one under the age of 38 is like, maybe not, maybe even older than that, like in their 40s is like, hmm, let me buy the Jake Paul fight. Like, I'm not buying it. Didn't watch it illegally. Just like, I'm just going to listen to it and have the Lakers game on. But, wow, boxing sucks. Jake Paul is defeated, and I didn't watch the Tyron Woodley fight. I didn't watch the Anderson, the Tyron Woodley series. I didn't watch the Anderson Silva fight either because I knew. I knew for a fact. I was just like, I don't think that he's going to win. Or I, not even, I don't think he's going to win, excuse me. I didn't care if he was going to win or lose. I was just like, I don't... I don't really care. Once he beat Ben Askren, I was like, okay, he's got to beat, he's got to go up against someone that is actually like a boxer. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't think until yesterday that Tommy Fury was just going to win. And um, again, I just, I had an inclination and it's, it sounds weird because it's just like, it's easy to say, it's easy to say all this hindsight 2020, but I was just, I don't know. I just, I just tuned into the fight, listened to him lose, and God, man, I hope boxing can move on. This could be good or bad for boxing because now it's like boxing actually has to figure out what it can do without Jake Paul as kind of the um, as the face of the sport, which is so weird to say. I mean, I saw I saw like huge media outlets reporting on how Jake Paul lost this fight and I was like are you guys serious is is this like a real thing that like ESPN is reporting on it I saw Undisputed be like yeah you know what like what does this mean that Jake Paul lost I was like he's really that big in boxing that like literally all of the big sports shows are talking about him today by the way notice how we haven't talked about any of those fights just because I'm like I I don't care Again. Uh, it is what it is. Jake Paul won, or lost, excuse me. He did make a shit ton of money, but that was expected. The Lakers won last night as well. The Clippers, with a chance to win against the Denver Nuggets, lost because they're the Clippers. But it's so interesting, right? Kyrie Irving getting traded to the Mavericks. And I thought it would be a great fit for him. I thought it would be a great fit for the Mavs. And it's not. It really isn't. Potentially. Uh, Skip and Shannon were talking about it earlier. And Shannon kind of made a great point when it came to Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics of the 80s. When it came to LeBron James and Miami Heat and the Miami Heat of the 2010s 
Kobe and Shaq in the early 2000s. The point that Shannon was making is that you kind of have to have kind of the initiator, the guy that's going to be initiating the offense. And even though you have a superstar, even though you have Kobe with Shaq, Kobe was kind of the initiator when Shaq was there. Even though Larry Bird had all of these great players around him, Larry Bird was the initiator. When LeBron James was with Miami and Dwayne Wade was the man in Miami, LeBron was the initiator in Miami. And so you have all these players. And even now with like LeBron and AD, it's like LeBron is LeBron can is flexible. LeBron doesn't mind being the initiator. But he also is like, I don't mind it if if Anthony Davis is the main initiator of our offense. In fact, in some ways, it works better because Anthony Davis is younger. He's a little bit more spry, and he really is... Like, LeBron can get 20, 30 points very, very easily. In the regular season and in the playoffs. LeBron can get his. It's just, does Anthony Davis, does he get his? Does he play well? And LeBron is willing to work with Anthony Davis as well as a lot of other players in order to make sure that they get theirs. And somehow, someway, LeBron James figures it out. In the case of Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic, I don't know if they'll figure it out. I don't know if they understand like who should be the initiator and who should be the facilitator and who should kind of be the guy that steps back. I don't know if they have figured that one out yet. And it showed its ugly head where they just couldn't score in their offense became disjointed, and they turned the football over a fuck ton. And they also brought up, Skip and Shannon brought up a great point. They don't have any rim protection as well. So you go up against these teams like the Lakers where they do have some bigs. They do have Anthony Davis. They do have LeBron. Even though LeBron is a small forward, he can kind of flex as a big. And you kind of just have like four guards playing, and it's just like kind of bad things can happen. And they beat this, they beat with, a really, really crapping, crappy shooting percentage from three. They beat the Dallas Mavericks. And, I mean, Anthony Davis was awesome last night. If he didn't get a chance, I don't remember how many blocks he had, but he was, I mean, he was an awesome rim protector last night. He was aggressive. He was active on the boards. He was active around the rim, offensively as well. He was catching lobs. He was getting offensive rebounds. He just seemed in form that night. And it was a great game overall. And watching that game, I was like, I think the Lakers could potentially make the playoffs. Well, I've been gone. People have once again been moving the needle on or the the goalposts, the finish line on LeBron James. Now it is, if LeBron James doesn't go to the playoffs, it damages if he doesn't go to the playoffs this year, damages his his legacy. And when he goes to the playoffs this year, they will find some way to discourage, or not discourage, excuse me, <clears throat> they will find a way to discredit his reputation and his legacy once again, because that's what people have done for the last 20 years. I don't know what to tell you if you're late to the party. And LeBron will probably go to the playoffs this year, I think so. I think so. The Lakers have been playing really, really crappy over the last couple of seasons, and it's been part and parcel because of the structure and the fabric of the team. 
and they finally have kind of figured out how to get rid of Russell Westbrook, and holy Christ, yikes, the Lakers look to have gotten rid of one of the main issues of their basketball team. And it is and was Russell Westbrook among other players. And I'll be honest with you, the Lakers, they've won significantly more games than the, than the Clippers have. I think the Clippers are like one and four in the last couple of games since the trade went down or something like that, With or technically it's a buyout. And the Lakers have beaten some of the better teams in the West. The Lakers have very, very obvious problems. I don't know if they'll be able to to essentially be, you know, like in the NBA Finals and in the Western Conference Finals. I think that's a long way off right now. Let me show you something. Hold on. Let me show you something. So in the Western Conference, right? Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. They're the one seed. Grizzlies, Memphis Grizzlies, two. Sacramento Kings are three. Phoenix Suns are four. Clippers are five. I think the Clippers are a little bit fugazi. Mavs are six. Warriors, seven. Jazz, eight. Timberwolves, nine. Pelicans, ten. Trailblazers, 11th. Then Lakers are sitting pretty at 12 overall. So why did I rattle all those names off for you? Why did I rattle all those teams off for you? Well, it's because, yes, even though the Lakers are the 12th seed, and I think you have to be in between, like, the 7th or the 6th seed, and the 10th seed, you have to be between 6 and 7 through 10 to get into the play-in. The Lakers are now only about, what is it? Three games behind the Mavs. They're like three games behind the Mavs. Mavs are 32 and 30. Lakers are 29 and 32. And honestly, they have a shot. They have a shot to make the play-in tournament. They potentially have a shot to actually just be like an actual playoff team just by the standings and not because of the play-in tournament. I mean, they always had a shot. It's just now, finally, it seems that they are, I don't want to say living up to expectations, but it seems like they're finally getting some rhythm and some momentum into their basketball team, and they're not just like completely and utterly wetting the bed like they've been for the last couple of years, and it seems like they actually could potentially do something in the playoffs. And so, I might do something in the playoffs. That can rain from like, Winning a playoff series to going to the NBA Finals. I think it would be kind of interesting. You know what's so interesting about Anthony Davis? Anthony Davis is like underachieving as a basketball player, and he has been underachieving as a basketball player, and this isn't the first time that this has been brought up, nor will this probably be the last time that this is brought up, but he just underachieves as a basketball player, and it's like you have Jokic, right? who's going to probably win the MVP again for the third season in a row. Now, whether or not he can win a playoff series is yet to be seen. I think he can, but it's just, for some weird reason, he hasn't. But we're about a couple months away from the playoffs. Jokic is going to win it, win the MVP. Anthony Davis, during the bubble, 
had done a fantastic job against Nikolo Nikola Nikolo Nik I think it's Nikolo Jokic Nikolo Jokic in the playoffs he was awesome he was spectacular defensively and offensively against Jokic and so you kind of or at least I kind of thought about it today I was like if the Lakers get into the playoffs and if they get matched up against the Denver Nuggets because they would probably be one of the worst teams in the NBA playoffs how good would Anthony Davis be? And everybody's been talking about how essentially it's like, look, it's not on LeBron anymore. It's not. LeBron needs help. It's now on guys like Anthony Davis to help him and support him out. Not support him out, but support him in order to win, right? And so my my main question when it comes to the Denver Nuggets, or not even the Denver Nuggets, but the Lakers is like, is Anthony Davis going to play well for the next, like, it's February for the next four months? Is he going to play like a top 10, 5 player in the NBA? Maybe 12 player in the NBA? I don't know. Whether you can accurately answer that question or not is, I think, what's going to determine the Lakers' success or failure over the next couple of months. We will see. God, it sucks to watch the Spurs be as crappy as they are. Oh, my God. They're 14 and 47. I haven't seen a Spurs game in years. It's too hard to watch the Spurs play basketball. After seeing that dynasty for almost 20 years, seeing the Spurs with Timmy D, Tim Duncan, Manu Ginobili, Tony Parker, Greg, the, Greg Popovich, the Admiral in the 90s, seeing that dynasty essentially devolve into what it is today, which is a steaming pile of crap, makes me sad. Anyways. Makes me... Ugh, in, 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 I don't know. I'm not Spanish. I may as well stop speaking it. We'll talk about Formula One as well today. I, I got a lot of Formula One news. Um, I saw a lot of players today. Saw a lot of players yesterday as well. Watched a lot, consumed a lot about football, about college football, and some of the prospects entering into the draft. I'll explain this again tomorrow, but I'll also hit on this today, right? I watch, on average, every single year, over 100 plus players in preparation for the NFL draft that happens in late April. And the reason why I watch about 100 players, or, or technically it's over 100 players, the reason why I watch over 100 players is so that way I can understand the fabric of the first three rounds of the draft. I do not cover the next four rounds because it's depth pieces and backups for the most part. And I, I, like, I find that that's way more happy. I'm I find that I'm way more happy and satisfied when I don't have to watch, like, hundreds upon hundreds of players and kind of know what's up. It's just like with players that are just, they're not going to be very good in the league. They're just depth pieces. I'm like, I could waste a bunch of time trying to figure that out. Or I could be reasonable and rational and just be like, dude, I'm only going to watch about 120, 130 players. I could just do that. That's what I plan on doing this year as well. 
getting somewhere close to like 100 players, something like that. I'm not really sure what the number exactly will be, but I'll be watching a lot of players. Started off today and yesterday really, really strong with, as I check my notes, I finished up, and I will get on these players, and I will talk about these players tomorrow, not today. I watched Zay Flowers, Brian Brees, Brian Brees, Brian Brees. It's spelled his last name, B-R-E-E-S-E. Let me take a swig of my water. Hold on. Literally felt like there was glass. Oh, my God. It's cutting my throat. Brian Brees or Brassi. Brian Brassi, I think that's how you say his last name. Brian Brassi, Zay Flowers, and Peter Skronsky. I watched today. Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from... <clears throat> from Tennessee, Jordan Addison, and Jalen Hyatt. So I watched six players over the last two days. I want to watch tomorrow the probably the Ohio State tackle. Probably I'll get done Michael Mayer, the tight end out of Notre Dame, among others. And tomorrow we will kind of have a list and a ranking of where those players are, what I think of those players, my evaluations of those players, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Tuesday's shows from here until April will be draft shows. So, um, will, will we have mock drafts? I don't really know. I don't, I don't really want to make it a thing of, ooh, we're going to do a mock draft every single Tuesday. I don't really want it to be about that, about making and having a mock draft every single Tuesday. However, we will talk about certain situations and certain simulations um, and player evaluations every single Tuesday. And I'll also list off some of the players that I've been looking at here as well. Two seconds. Hmm. Hello? My microphone cut out a little bit. So we'll have about... Maybe by tomorrow, somewhere between, I mean, we'll probably have 12 to 13 players already just done within the next uh, day. Like, I'll be able to have, how many players do I have just straight up? Straight up, now tell me, baby, do you want to love me forever? Oh, oh, oh. Is it just a hit and run? I got uh, Bryce Young done. Saw enough of Bryce to know who he is as a player. Same thing goes for CJ Stroud. Same thing goes for Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, Bijan Robinson, uh, Jameer Gibbs, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith and the Jigba, Peter Skronsky. Did I say Zay Flowers? No, I no, I I did. Uh, Brian Brassi. Did I also say Jordan Addison? I did. So Jackson, Hendon Hooker, and Jalen Hyatt. So I think that's like. I stopped counting, but it's like 12, 13 players already. So I'm, I'm kind of good to go. I need some linebackers because I don't know any linebackers, but that'll happen probably tomorrow. I'll probably watch the guy out of Ohio State because it seems as if, I mean, if I just go on Pro Football Network, <clears throat> I'll be able to figure out where they think of Skronsky. Skronsky, the Peter Skronsky is the Northwestern 
tackle who's like, it's like in the 20s. I'm just like, what? It's weird. Mercy. Do you have him ranked? Give me like two seconds. They have Peter Skronsky ranked 22nd overall. That's interesting. Like these boys better fucking knock my fucking socks off tomorrow. Roderick Jones out of Georgia and also Paris Johnson Jr. out of Ohio State. Those are the guys that they have ranked over Peter Skronsky. Who um, I'll talk about tomorrow. I'm trying not to like get into it deeply here tonight. Because we do have a lot of stuff to catch up on. But I'll say this. Holy fucking shit. Holy fucking shit. Is Northwestern's football program terrible? I mean, I'm sitting here, right? And I'm going through players. I'm watching players. And I get to Peter Skronsky. It's torture watching Northwestern play football. They are such a bad football program. They are so terrible. Honestly, I mean, they just... Every single team knew what they were running. Their run fits were terrible. Some of their schemes were terrible. I remember I wrote this in my notes where I was just like, it's hard to watch Peter Skronsky and come away with certain conclusions because straight up Northwestern is so bad that it makes Peter Skronsky, the left tackle, who's really good, kind of look bad as well. It's bad. How bad. Northwestern's football is. And so <clears throat> we'll talk about Peter Skronsky. We'll talk about Hendon Hooker. We'll talk about all those boys tomorrow. I have anything else to say? Kind of jumping around here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bryce Young. Bryce Young's measurables came in today. He's 5'10", one and a half, according to Todd McShay. And then, I don't know if Todd McShay actually said this. He said, if I'm a GM, no, he said this, because I'm quoting him. I'm quoting somebody else quote him. Uh, it's Dove Kleiman, I think that's what his name is. If I'm a GM, I'm scared to death of drafting him, said Todd McShay. Like, like, this is why teams whiff in the playoffs or not in the playoffs, but when it comes to the draft, this is why the draft for some people is seen as a crapshoot and why some people erroneously will say things like it's a 50-50 chance and da-da-da-da-da. When in reality, if you're smart, it's really not, you know? It's like you can increase your chances of success with a little bit of intelligence. This is an unintelligent statement. If I'm a GM, I'm scared to death of drafting him because he's five foot ten. First and foremost, if you watched Bryce Young play, you knew that he was not six foot tall. That's like that's the issue right there. Did you honestly need to see his measurables come in for you to know that he is not six feet tall? I knew that he wasn't six foot tall 
because he stood next to sideline reporters in heels and they were like the exact same height. Like, it's not that, or he was shorter than them, admittedly. It's not that difficult. You just watch him play. You watch him play for the last two years. He's not going to grow that much, if any, from him being, what, like 20 to 21? Jesus fucking Christ. Honestly, how do you miss this type of stuff? How are you this ignorant? How are you this erroneous in your assessment? I'm scared to death of drafting him because he's 5'10 and a half. Ugh, God. You know, for Hendon Hooker, and by, like, this is the only time that I'll spend time on this, right? For Hendon, first and foremost, if you don't believe in him, if you're going to say something that dumb, don't draft him. Don't draft him. Pick somebody else. If you're honestly scared because he's 5'10 and a half, then just don't draft him. I don't know what's this discussion. Just don't draft him. Just don't pick him up. Just let him fall to another team. Let him fall to Indianapolis. Let him fall to Tennessee or somebody else. Let him fall to a good team. Why not? Why not? If he's undraftable, just let him fall. Put a chip on his shoulder. Why not? Everybody's been complaining about his weight. Ooh, he's 190 pounds. Ooh, he's 99 pounds. It's like, who cares if he's 190 pounds? People were complaining two years ago that Devontae Smith was too small to play in the NFL. Devontae Smith, the wide receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. He, he's too small to play in the NFL, 24. He's 160 pounds. 160 pounds, 24. I said, oh, you haven't just watched him play at Alabama, have you? Well, it, it, I have, but he just, he's just too skinny. I was like, watch him play. He's like 180 now. Somewhere close to that. 180, 170. He may be 170 pounds, honestly. He's not very big. Most guys, his, his height are about 200 pounds. He's missing like a good 20 to 30 pounds. He played in the Super Bowl this year. He had 1,000 yards. Talk to me about Devontae Smith. Ocho Cinco has come out and he's just like, yeah, I played at like 160, 170. I think Reggie Wayne did as well. But people are like, uh, uh, he's got to be like 200x pounds. Granted, now, even if we're even going to say, well, he's not 200 pounds and things of that nature, Bryce Young has even come out and he's like, yeah, I'm working with a nutritionist to get to 210 pounds, which is fine. It's fine. He doesn't need to bulk up. He doesn't need to be huge. I like that he's mobile. I like that. Five foot ten and a half is making is gonna make somebody undraftable. Give me a fucking break. Oh gosh. It's like you wanna know the obnoxious thing? This is somebody who should have watched and seen the Tennessee game where Bryce Young got completely and utterly obliterated because his offensive line was not very good. And Bryce had to adjust, and he did adjust, and he was great in that game against Tennessee. And uh, he damn near won them the game. By the way, um, if his defense literally just did not give up, like, 50 points without a turnover, by the way. Gave up 50 points without a turnover. It's like, how do you... Like, how does that happen? I don't know. Ask Alabama's defense. But... 
I saw that today and I was like, I cannot believe somebody said something like that stupid. Um, but then it's just like you consider just the simplicity of the fact that people just aren't very good at evaluating talent. And you're just like, oh, like it, it kind of makes sense as to why people. Why people would say that. And then today as well, I got this information about Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey came out today, or it may have been even yesterday, and he was just like, yeah, you know, um, I like, and this is, I think, after the Rams have announced that they want to trade him, like either publicly or not so publicly or whatever. And so Jalen Ramsey now has kind of come out, and he's just like, oh, I want to be traded. And he's listed off the teams that he wants to be traded to. He wants to be traded to the Patriots, the Seattle Seahawks. And this is according to Adam Schefter, who I'm not like 100% on. Uh, I, I don't really trust him that much as a source, but nobody else has it. So maybe he's right. Maybe he's wrong. Whenever, whenever Adam Sandler says something, it's like Adam Sandler, Jesus Christ. Adam Schefter, whenever he says something, it, it can kind of fall both ways. It can fall between, oh, he's saying and reporting on something that's truthful. And other times it's, He's saying and he's saying things that are uh, that are not. Whoa, 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 wait, nope, never mind. This is a parody account. <laughs> is this a parody account? Yes, this is a parody account. It looked legit. Never mind. It's not. I was like nobody. Uh, okay. Oh my god. Oh, oh Jesus Christ. Oh my god. Oh, I almost got fucking blasted. I was just like, oh my god. That was so fucking close. I almost got fucking caught in 4K. I was about to go on. I was about to talk about this. Oh, my God. I was like, I haven't seen anyone talk about this. I haven't seen anyone report this. This looked, okay, okay, give me a break. Hold on. Pause. Pause, okay? This looked so fucking real. It looked so real because he uses, he has Adam Schefter's profile account, right? Or not profile account, profile pick. Again, I'm tired. He has his profile pic. He has, like, the the name, like, his, his username, or he has his, like, actual name that he uses on Twitter, and, like, it looks legitimate. The tweet itself looks like something Adam Schefter would tweet. And so on the top right, I look, and I see this account, and I see, thank God, in, like, big, bold, fucking all caps, parody in parentheses not adam schefter and i'm like wait is this a pro is this a parody account and then i press on the fucking the fucking account because i'm looking at the tweet itself i'm not looking at the account and it's just like it's it's the fucking parody account oh my god oh jesus christ that was so fucking close jesus christ how insane is like just Having to shift and sift through fake content, I usually, that looks so, okay, that look, that, get, to give myself a little bit of credit, that account looks so legitimate. Like, the setup for the account, if I didn't read the bio, that account looked ridiculously legitimate. But over the last couple of weeks, just naturally, I've started to see, like, some really, really, I don't want to say weird stuff, but some, like, but just amazing AI of like celebrities being taken and being like 
used to say ridiculous things and to have these ridiculous conversations with one another. And it's just, it is insane. Some of the, some of the stuff that people can do just to like put out content, not in a negative way, by the way, I'm not mad at the person that put out that, that parody account or mad at people that put out like AI things, but it's just like, it does get a bit ridiculous when like people will inevitably use that for terrible things and they'll spread misinformation but right now it's hilarious seeing um seeing what people can do with ai but oh my god that i almost got i almost got fucking sniped right there jesus christ i always make fun of people for like not even checking bios and not checking parody accounts and things of that nature but oh my god and then it's just like it almost happened to me and i was just like oh oh my god that was so close Anyways, looks like I just don't have anything to talk about here today. I was like, that's such a weird, I was like, that's such a weird thing to, to tweet out. I was like, the four teams that Jalen Ramsey had selected. And I had also heard that Jalen Ramsey had wanted to go to the, to the Detroit Lions. And then I read the tweet and I was just like, the, of the parody account. And I was just like, oh, okay. It's, it's not real. It's not. Oh my goodness. I want to talk about Formula One here for a couple of minutes before we kind of get back to the NFL here. So Formula One had a huge weekend this weekend, this past weekend. Preseason barring, testing, had um, all the drivers go in for about three days. Just driving their cars around the track, testing out different setups, different wheels, different wings different fuel loads, and different engine performances. Different engine specs, I guess. I don't know what the term is. And so, truthfully, I didn't watch a lot of the Bahrain testing just because I, I could not, because I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it. But um, I watched as much as I could on the internet, and I watched people talk about it, which in some cases, in some instances, is better than actually watching it sometimes because I'm I'm new to Formula One and so kind of the uh if I can kind of pull it up so essentially the major the major storylines out of Bahrain preseason testing is that the team that won the championship last year in Red Bull with the driver Max Verstappen Max 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 Super Max 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 uh is probably going to dominate the uh, grid, the calendar, once again. Red Bull, Max Verstappen, they're probably going to do it again. In very, very convincing fashion. What they did during the first couple of days of Bahrain was they just were like, yeah, Max, just spend all, the, all of your available time that you have in preseason testing over the first couple of days, which are literally the worst days to drive the car because it's in, I think, secure. I have no idea where that is, by the way. I'm American. But it was in like secure, right? The preseason testing, the first race will be this weekend in Bahrain. It's a city insecure. And so Bahrain insecure is in the Middle East, I guess. And so sand will naturally float onto the track. And make the track worse to drive. But as the cars run around the track 
and lay down tread, lay down that, lay down rubber, the track gets grippier and grippier and grippier. And by the time that you can get to the third day, you can run your car pretty fast and you can actually like kind of understand the performance of your car a little bit. And so it was weird for Red Bull to run Max Verstappen's car and the driver himself really throughout the first couple of days using all of his available time when the track is at its worst, when he won the driver's championship last year, which is essentially the, it's one of two championships that you can win. And so it was just weird that they ran it. And the problem was, is like, it's just like, yes, it was weird that they ran him during those first couple of days, just without even his teammate in Sergio Perez also running. It was weird that they ran him during those first couple of days. But at the exact same time, it was just like, he was awesome. He was dominant. Red Bull was awesome. Red Bull was dominant. One of the main takeaways is that Red Bull is extraordinarily confident in their car, in their driver, which probably means that they have a very, very good car. We know they have a very good driver in Max Verstappen, but the question kind of was and is, do they have a very good car? And the question has kind of been answered. It's like, yes, they, they probably and more likely than not do. Now, for the other teams, there wasn't really a lot to report. There really wasn't. There's some things to report, but really not a lot. And so the major things are, is that porpoising, for the most part, for most teams, it looks like it has been eliminated. Porpoising is the tendency for the back of your car, the back suspension to kind of gyrate up and down as if it was a bad hydraulic system to bounce essentially up and down um, because the floor is trying to be sucked into the ground and then it gets pushed back up and then it gets sucked into the ground and then it gets pushed back up and then sucked to the ground. Up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, over and over and over again, really, really fast, and it causes the car to not only perform worse, but it also affects the driver's um, health in a negative facet because Lewis Hamilton, and I watched also Drive to Survive during my week off, uh, watched it in the first couple of days, by the way, but Lewis Hamilton, seven-time world champion, probably the greatest Formula One driver ever, um, he had back issues driving the W13, his... Mercedes last year, and he just, he, it was, I mean, he talked ad nauseum about how badly the performance, how bad the performance was, excuse me, of the Mercedes because of porpoising. Looks like most of the cars have eliminated porpoising, including Mercedes, and Mercedes had kind of a shaky weekend this past weekend with a, ironically enough, a hydraulic failure causing George Russell, Lewis Hamilton's teammate, to kind of stop on track and kind of ruining their second day. But their first and third days for Mercedes were pretty decent. It was just, essentially, it's just like, is Mercedes' is, is Mercedes's car going to porpoise? Is it going to porpoise? Is it going to porpoise? 
when it was shown that it was not going to porpoise and it was going to function as a typical race car, people were like, oh, okay, Mercedes looks looks to be maybe potentially back. Um, but Mercedes did not look like it was the best team on the grid by far and away. And what was so interesting was that Toto Wolf had this quote. He didn't directly say it, but he kind of said Mercedes is sandbagging. Sandbagging essentially meaning that you are intentionally making your car's performance worse. Now, why would you make your car's performance worse if the whole point is to win the race and go as fast as humanly possible, maybe not as humanly possible, but to go as fast as like humanly possible while go while being like safe. It's like, why would you, why would you sandbag your car? And the reality of the situation is, is that it's a little bit of gamesmanship. It's the simplicity of the fact that some teams are still trying to hide things up until the last minute. So team, so other teams won't be able to make these huge adjustments to their cars. And so Mercedes and Mercedes could be sandbagging. They may or may not be. I don't know. Like Toto Wolf said that they were still hiding some things. Um, whether that is potentially upgrades, whether that is potentially performance in the engine, I don't really know, but that's what he said. And I, I don't know. I don't know if he's sandbagging. I'm not sure. This is my first year covering Formula One. I don't know. Does it look like Mercedes is sandbagging? I don't, I don't know. You know what? I'll say it. I think so. I think so. It didn't look like Mercedes was like directly interested in having the fastest car on the paddock during preseason testing. It just seemed like they wanted their setup to work and it looked as if they had issues with their setup because there was oversteer and understeer on their car. It looked like there was some understeer on, on their car and it just looked like the setup just wasn't right and ready. And they'll have the next couple of days to try and fix it as well as during um, free practice and things of that nature. And I mean, we'll see what happens with Mercedes over the next couple of days. But Mercedes looked, Mercedes looked I would say good. I would say good. Red Bull looked great. Ferrari looked Ferrari looked good as well. It's just interesting with Ferrari because Ferrari has a very very strong and powerful engine, but it was not reliable last year, and because it was not reliable last year, they lost races just because their car couldn't continue forward because the engine blew up or something wrong would happen with it. And so the hope is, is that Ferrari's reliability is back this year because they have a gooberly powerful engine. They were leading the championship last year at around this time, and they were winning a bunch of races, and they were dominant and things of that nature. But will they go forward with their dominance? Will they go forward with, um, with their engine's power being like what it is and things of that nature and their reliability being great? I don't know. We'll see. But Ferrari looked, they looked really, really good. Uh, Aston Martin, the green team, looked awesome. Fernando Alonso, the Spaniard, was gooberly dominant with his time on um, on the track. It looked like Aston Martin's car is maybe able to break the middle of the pack. 
it may be able to enter into the top three, which I don't remember the last time a team was able to do that. I don't remember when like one of these midfield teams was able to break into Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. Because those three teams have kind of been dominating Formula 1 for the better part of a decade. And so, to potentially see Aston Martin come back here with their car this year against those three teams and potentially take a spot there would be very, very interesting for me um, as just a fan, I guess. It would be very interesting. However, on the flip side, one of their drivers, Lance Stroll, gets hurt because of some biking accident and he breaks both of his wrists. I have no idea how he's supposed to drive a car this weekend. He's like, like Aston Martin is like, maybe he'll race, maybe he won't race. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. But Aston Martin is potentially going to have a good car this year. We will see what happens with Aston Martin here in the next couple of days. I'm really, really excited for Bahrain. Um, Alfa Romeo, Joe Guan Yu, who is a Chinese driver. He, I'll, I'll kind of speed through some of this stuff. Joe Guan Yu had a really, really nice, awesome, uh, awesome couple of days in his Alfa Romeo. Um, Valtteri Bottas, Valtteri Bottas, Bottas. I terrible with pronunciations. Alfa Romeo just had kind of a good segment. Some of these teams kind of, it, it was uneventful. It was just like they showed up, their car performed as it was supposed to perform. And it wasn't like, it, it was kind of like for most teams, most teams did not look very dysfunctional. I'll say this. Alfa Romeo did not look dysfunctional. Alfa Tauri as well didn't. Nick DeVries. One of the new drivers, he's a veteran. He's like 27, 28 years old. This is his first year in Formula One because he used to drive in different racing circuits, one of them being Formula E. And Nick DeVries in Alfa Tauri, in the Alfa Tauri, apparently has been making a lot of suggestions to the Alfa Tauri engineers. So many, in fact, that some of them are, have been like, we have the setup right. And the technical director at Alfa Tauri is like, look, our fucking placement sucks. Maybe we should listen to our driver because maybe he can help us out. And so Alfa Tauri with Nick DeVries should be a very, very interesting team to look at. I'm, I'm kind of excited about Alfa Tauri, to be honest with you. I'm not really that excited about Alfa Romeo. Alfa Romeo is like, it's, it's to me like a participation team. I don't think there's really anything of interest that's going to come out of Alfa Tauri. Or not Alfa Tauri, Alfa Romeo, unfortunately. Alfa Tauri with the Japanese driver, Yuki Sonoda. And I think he's French, right? I think he's French. Nick DeVries. That's going to be interesting to say his name. Because it sounds like Debris, it, but it's DeVries. I think that's how you say his last name. And already we have drivers on the paddock being confused by his last name. Carlos Sainz last year infamously gets told by one of his um, one of his radio operators that DeVries that DeVries is behind him and Carlos got confused because he's like, what debris behind me? And to that need Alpine, the French based racing team again, looked fine with Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon. I watched again, I watched drive to survive and I was kind of disappointed that they didn't try to cover 
Esteban Ocon and Fernando Alonso's kind of uh, tension with the team. Unfortunately, they kind of made it about, somewhat intelligently, I would say, they made it about the competition at the middle of the field with their new technical director and all this other stuff. So I, I kind of like that perspective and that angle on it. Um, Haas, Haas looked okay, I guess. Who's their driver's name? Nico Nico Hulkenberg. I didn't really see a lot of him, actually. I didn't see a whole lot of Haas as well. Haas is like one of those teams that I just, I don't know. It's a feel-good story. It's the underdog on the paddock. They're very lovable. They're very likable. But will they win anything? I don't think so. This year. I don't know. Well, I mean, we'll see about, we'll see their actual performance in a couple of days. But, I mean... It feels like Haas has been like the exact same <laughs> exact same team for like the last three or four years. You know, everybody's rooting for Haas and Gunther Steiner. Um, but they just, they always fall short. They always fall short. They're just not that good of a team overall. And um, whether it's the drivers, whether it's the car parts, whether it's the engineering, whether it's the strategy whatever, whatever the case is, it's like they just, they're just dysfunctional and it always showcases itself whenever they go racing. It always showcases themselves when they always, when, when, um, when their drivers are, uh, enter into the cars and, you know, the cars race around the fucking, uh, the fucking circuits, uh, their dysfunction just is very prevalent and obvious. And so, some people root for them. I don't because I like rooting for teams that deserve to win. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Williams, I, I don't know what to make of Williams. Let's move on to McLaren and some of the middle of the pack teams. So Drive to Survive was kind of, it, 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 was, it was mediocre to below mediocre. I'd, I wouldn't really want to watch that season again. It was, it was all right in some instances. Um, but a storyline that was kind of prevalent was Red Bull breaking the salary cap, and this happened later on in the season, breaking the salary cap in the 2021 season and some of the teams being very, very angry about that. And Zach Brown, the I think he's like the CEO of McLaren, talked about how um, it shouldn't be the teams that can spend the most money that went. It should be the teams that, that, um, that engineer the best cars. Right, because the problem with Formula One is that essentially there hasn't been a formula, not a formula, excuse me, there hasn't been a salary cap um, in the sport for the majority of the sport until the last, I think, two years. And so the problem has been is that some teams like Mercedes, like Red Bull, like Ferrari can just throw a bunch of money at the problem, at the problem with their cars, and they can make these huge quick adjustments because of how rich and how powerful they are. Um, I would say to the other teams, get more fucking money. How about that? How about that? I don't know. Get more money. Get more money. It's not your competitor's fault that they are richer than you. It is your fault. I don't want to hear you cry tears when you are like a millionaire or you're a billionaire or whatever. And, or your team is like, is able to fundraise hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars or whatever. And your team is worth a lot of money. I don't care figure it out. I hate it whenever people are like, I don't have money and you're like a millionaire or, or you're a billionaire. It's like, yes, you do. You just don't want to spend it. Stop talking. But Red Bull, or excuse me, McLaren 
technical director Zach Brown, even Gunter Steiner. I remember I was watching season two of Drive, Drive to Survive again. Gunter Steiner was like, look, um, it shouldn't be Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari that are at the top all the time, every single time we go racing. And to Zach Brown and to Gunter Steiner and all these other guys that complain about how these teams have competitive edges because of how much money they're spending, I would say, why is Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari still at the top of the grid once again? Why? Why? I talked about already how dysfunctional Haas was and how dysfunctional I think that they will probably be this year. Now it's McLaren. McLaren had a crappy weekend this weekend. Like out of all the cars that went out onto the Bahrain preseason testing, most of them had good weekends. Like Mercedes had a little bit of a hiccup here on day two, but they recovered on day three. They were fine. The same thing goes for um, the majority of the teams. Like even Alfa Romeo had a little bit of a hiccup, but Joe Guanyu had an awesome day. I think day two, day three, something like that. He was like, I think he had the fastest lap time. It was only McLaren, the team that wants to complain about salary cap and money and all this other stuff. It was McLaren. And it was only McLaren that really had consistent issues. And Lando Norris, great driver, awesome driver, dominant driver for that team was very forthcoming with his dissatisfaction of that car. Because Lando Norris was awesome last year, outperformed his car and what his team had put onto the track week in, week out. But the problem is that his car sucks. So we saw it on a week-to-week basis, and McLaren just constantly was uncompetitive versus their competitors last year. And it seems like it has happened once again. It seems like McLaren once again is uncompetitive. And it has nothing to do with the salary cap. It has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with quote-unquote engineering. It's just like, wait a second. This is the thing that you guys complained about, that, that Red Bull and Ferrari and Mercedes can't just throw money at. And speaking of which, you've kind of exacerbated. Hold on kind of exacerbated the problem, right? Because Red Bull gets off to this huge monumental start to the regular season, or not to the regular season, but to the season about midway through, and Ferrari just is incompetent, and they don't develop the car properly, and their strategy is terrible. Again, in Drive to Survive, the main reason why I love Drive to Survive is the behind-the-scenes look at the Formula 1 season. And every single time they fucked it up, they fucked up their strategy. Christian Horner, the, what is it, the manager, essentially, of Red Bull, essentially was like, yeah, they fucked up their strategy. Every single time, Total Wolf even, they interviewed him, and they were like, yeah, Ferrari fucked their strategy up. I think in, um, in Monaco or in Silverstone, they fucked it up. And so... And the regards to some of these teams that want to complain about money and, oh my God, salary cap and, oh my God, this and that and blah, 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 blah. It's just like, dude, you just suck at making a race car. Your team sucks at being able to, to, to essentially put a competitive team onto the track, a competitive car onto the track. 
Like, Mercedes, the sad part is, right? Mercedes and Red Bull and Ferrari have not beaten these other teams on the paddock because they have more money. They've beaten these teams on the paddock because they're better. It's like, again, this, we're in the second year of the salary cap. Where are the teams that are, supposed to, that are supposed to improve? I don't see it. There's like nothing. Like maybe Aston Martin can now has potentially broken through the midfield and will now be a team that can compete with Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari. Maybe that's the case. Do I actually believe it? No. No. At this point, I don't. But for the most part, McLaren has stayed exactly where they were and where they are. And the same thing goes for, um, for Haas and all these other teams. It's just like, I, I, just, uh, I just don't know. I just don't understand it. Anyway, that's kind of what happened in, um, in preseason testing in Bahrain here. Oh, goodness gracious. So excited. So excited to see what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. It's going to be so interesting. Because kind of the book that's being written for a lot of these players, or not for a lot of these players, but for a lot of these teams, is that they have these upgrade packages that can and will compete with Red Bull. Because again, the consensus right now is that Red Bull is in front of all of these other teams. They're leading the charge. They're the number one team, right? What kind of the consensus is right now is that give it a couple of months, right? Which sounds like a lot. It's like 24, like a, like a couple of months. We're going to be racing for about nine months. Like eight, really. We're going to be racing until like November, right? We're about to enter March. It's like we're about to be racing for about eight months. Red Bull has a lot of time to concede the lead. And a lot of these teams have a lot of time to develop upgrade packages for their cars. The problem with Red Bull, they're being penalized with development time because they did breach the salary cap. And so some of these teams, like... Ferrari, like Mercedes, like Aston Martin, if they are in the middle of the pack, can catch up because Red Bull's development time has kind of been uh, has been kind of uh, cut short, and that will obviously lead some of these teams to catch up potentially. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens, but. The consensus right now is that Red Bull is still the number one team, but it could essentially, it could essentially change here in the next couple of, uh, couple of months here. Again, we have eight months to race. So we'll see. We'll see. Goodness gracious. Mm-mm-mm. I saw a couple of TV shows and movies over the break. Saw some TV shows, saw some movies. <clears throat> I saw Big Little Lies. Makes me so fucking sad. It makes me... 
it makes me so fucking sad to see that big little lies will not will not fucking get their fucking uh their third season. I watched Big Little Lies five Big Little Lies is a kind of a uh, a drama featuring an all-star cast of uh of awesome actors and actresses. Adam Scott is in it, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon, just awesome actors and actresses. Meryl Streep is in the second season and I mean she's just she's just fucking awesome. She needs to be in more TV shows. She's great. And so I'm watching that TV show and I'm just like, oh my God, I cannot believe that I'm not going to get a, another fucking season. If you don't know, um, the TV show, the TV show had this very, very infamous song in it. That was the opening. Let me play you a little bit of it. Here's, here's a little bit of the intro. I'm just playing this song because I like this song so much. Let me play a little bit of it. Great fucking track. That's the intro to season two. And I, I may actually watch that TV show again. I don't know why I do it to myself. It's just, just such a fucking good TV show. Uh, it makes, it's just, it's like the cool thing about being an adult is that some of my TV shows, most of my TV shows now don't like get canceled because they're all on streaming services. I mean, some of them do, some of them don't. But I usually just watch like the gooberly popular TV shows that are like way too big to fail. Stranger Things. I mean, and also they're great TV shows. Stranger Things, Session, Bridgerton, Euphoria, et cetera, et cetera. There will be conclusions to them, right? The worst thing about being a kid and watching your TV shows is that they would get canceled because of ratings or because of some other ridiculous reason. And now it's just like, now most of the TV shows that I watch they don't have those ridiculous endings or more specifically a cancellation. And so I was watching big little lies over the break and it was awesome. And I decided to go to the movie theater. I don't really go to the movie theater a lot because I, I I'm just, I, I don't really going to the movies. It's expensive. The snacks are terrible. I like popcorn, but my movie theater has terrible popcorn. How do you screw up popcorn? I don't, I don't know. So I go out and I watch Ant-Man and the Wasp in the Quantumanium, the new Marvel superhero movie, which critics hate and despise. And I watched it and I fucking loved it. I fucking loved it. On Metacritic, it's like 48%. The user score is 6 on Rotten Tomatoes, it's like 48%, but the audience score is 83%. And I watched it, and I loved it, and I was kind of shocked 
that it's getting so much negative attention. I mean, it's it, it, it kind of doesn't matter that much. It's making bank. But I'm watching that film and I'm just like, oh, Marvel has essentially created One Piece. Like Marvel is now One Piece. Marvel will essentially create content until they don't want to create content. Like, they've been going for 20 years. I had a more nuanced position, but I'm just exhausted, and we're getting over an hour plus. I thought I was going to podcast for, like, over two and a half hours or something like that. Happened tonight. But I was watching Ant-Man and the Wasp. I was, I was just like, oh, my goodness. This movie perfectly fucking hits on just the premise of just being able to tell a good story in X amount of time through cinema and through movies. And I'm shocked kind of that people are like, Marvel sucks. Marvel doesn't make any good stories. I remember I was watching this YouTube video and this guy started out his video being like, Marvel is about a, 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 a corporate Hollywood and all this other crap. And I was just like, Really? You're going to talk about corporations and mention and, and you're going to talk about Marvel being a corporation and not understanding that like literally Hollywood is all about just making dollars and dimes and stuff like that. You're just, you, are you really that naive? But I don't know. It's like Marvel will be fine overall. Maybe not fine because a lot of people don't like Marvel, but Marvel will just make an incredible amount of money consistently. Maybe not an incredible amount of money consistently is the problem. It's just Marvel will keep on creating good stories. Now I found my groove again. I watched Michael Bay's absolute crappy, crappy Transformer series over and over and over and over and over again as a teenager. Hated it now. Hate, I maybe not hated it now, but I dislike it now. Strongly. It's just not very good. And as much as people want to talk about the formula of the Marvel Cinematic Universe being formulaic or the movies being formulaic, the formula is good. The formula for Michael Bay's movies is very, very, very bad. Very bad. And it is... Unfortunately, for a time, it made a lot of money until it just didn't and until the movies kind of got burned out or he got burned out from making the movies. It was just one of those things that I was just like, thank God that he stopped making those movies. I looked at this like, I looked at movie series like Star, Star Wars and the Harry Potter series and, uh, and Indiana Jones and the new Indiana Jones movie looks great, by the way, from the trailer. But from like all of these TV shows, right? From... Or not TV shows, but movies. Movie series and movie franchises. The thought to me has occurred that it's just like Harry Potter, which I love, I think is great. Harry Potter has not, has not been able to put out consistently good content over the last 20 years. Specifically with the Fantastic Beast series, which is just, it's, it's below average to me that series the same thing goes with star wars the same thing goes with a lot of movie series that have tried to have reboots like think of movie series that have tried to come back after doing something or has tried to stay in the game and it's just 
It's just the movies have just ended up to being below average. Just like... I think that's one of the more impressive things about Marvel. That they've been able to just have that longevity with their movies. And they've been able to create really interesting storylines and things of that nature. To the point where it's like, now we're getting to the point where even the criticism is getting repetitive. And some would argue because the movies are still the same and they're repetitive. But I would argue it's because the criticism doesn't really provide any insight. Unique insight. Just saying what people have been saying for like the past five years. And it's just like, I think inevitably people that people will get tired of it. And I think, hold on. Sorry. Oh, ah, sorry about that. My computer literally was like seconds away from, uh, from literally like running out of battery and powering itself down. It's like the performance just dropped off a cliff and I was just like, Oh, it's about to power down. But um, the movies, but like, but like Marvel movies, they get it. They understand it. They understand how to tell good stories, which I think is important. But even more so than that, I think a lot of companies and I think a lot of TV shows or not TV shows, excuse me, but movies just don't understand how to tell good, good stories. I think a perfect example of this is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino, where it's literally forced gump, except worse. And it literally has the same Marvel formula where it's just like, hey, guys, um, we're going to have the the big blockbuster fight at the end of the movie. But unlike Marvel movies, it was. It was so terribly done. It was it, like it was so bad at the end of the movie, and I was shocked. I, I, dude, why? Why is this movie three hours long? I was like, please, dear God. It's trending at 85% on Rotten Tomatoes It's um, when it comes to the critics, and it's 70%. And I'm like, bro, you guys cannot be serious. I love Quentin Tarantino, but that movie was just, it was, it was, it was not very good. I'm a bit shocked that people are like, this is one of the greatest movies we've ever seen. I'm like, come on. Come on. But I don't know. I was going to talk more in depth about it, but I'm just. I'm just exhausted. <laughs> I'm just exhausted. Jesus Christ. Oh, goodness gracious. Ugh. I have some more some more topics that I can talk about, but I'm gonna give myself a break. I'm going to uh to just chill out. Tomorrow we'll talk about drafts. We'll talk about uh not drafts, Jesus Christ. We'll talk about draft picks and things of that nature here. We'll talk about where players are, we'll talk about some of the big names uh that I've looked at including uh, most of the quarterbacks, most of the big-name quarterbacks, and where I have Hendon Hooker, who is a very, very interesting quarterback out of, uh, out of Tennessee that I'm, I am not going to lie to you. I'm shocked that people are 
not talking about him at all. And we will talk about him tomorrow. Anyways, I'm peacing out for a night. It's great to be back once again. I am exhausted, but I will see you tomorrow. 24th podcast.